Welcome everyone to a new episode of the Virtual Coffee Break with the MSU Extension Dairy Team. My name is Martin Mangual, Dairy Educator for MSU Extension in the west side of the state of Michigan. In today's episode, we will talk about some important components of feed management that focuses on what occurs on the farm with a feed program. My guest today is Don Mortel, an experienced nutritionist and feed management consultant who is also part of the faculty here at Michigan State University. He rejoins our program to further discuss many aspects about feeding that he has learned from the use of cameras to analyze a feeding program. There's cool information ahead, so let's get started. We're back with the podcast and we have another guest that have been with us in the past and we're talking about Don Martel. Thanks, Don, for joining us again in the virtual coffee break. You're welcome. Look forward to it. Before we delve into what we're going to do today, let me remind those listening that we have done an episode we've done in the past where we throw a big arch over feed management and we touch briefly on many points that should be part of the thinking of a producer when planning his feed program, talking about equipment, about people, about training, about the importance of the cow in a feed program. So I encourage you to go back. Those are still posted and enjoy that episode. And if you have any questions, uh, you can reach to any of us. Emails are going to be in that episode. But as we promised in that episode, today we're going to do a deeper dive in some of the experience and some of the work that you have done in the past. Before we talk about cameras, which is going to be the main topic for today, I did have a question from that last episode because we touched on, on three different points. We talk about equipment, about people, and about cows. And I wanted to know how protagonists should be the cow when we're planning a feed program. Well, I think to answer that very simply, I put heavy weight on, on what our cow uh, wants and desires. I think we've learned as an industry that things like cow comfort and particularly when we get in milking parlors and things like that, where we have interaction with humans, we need to be very sensitive to what that cow is. She is a creature of habit and those things that are positive for her will be positive generally to the dairyman and to his milk check. So uh, I always generally error to the cow. I know there's times that we can't always do that, but the closer we get to the cow, generally she takes care of us very, very well. I agree with that. If we treat her well, she's going to treat us well. You have done, like we said, a lot of camera work in the past, and you have shared how valuable that is and what you have learned with that type of work. But before we talk about what you learned, how does that work overall for those that are unaware of how you do that? Well, very simply is that we, for a long time, Uh, have had the opportunity to utilize, uh, whether it be already installed cameras or what I use is actually installing trail cameras, which can take pictures, what look like movies, because they take the pictures almost every three to five seconds. So it looks like a movie. So we capture a lot of data and it gives us the opportunity to look at that data for a period of time, whether we choose anywhere from three days to a week or even longer. But The, the, the cameras have been extremely valuable for us to see not only the behavior of the cows and also what are some of the interactions that the humans and the different activities that are going on within a freestyle barn when we're really looking at feeding management. And it's really opened my eyes and I've learned more from the cameras probably than I've done from doing some of the other audit work that I've been involved with because I see the things that go very well, and I see things that don't go so well. 
that make you wonder why our cows are even doing what they're doing. So we put them through some situations that are not good. And we also, um, in some herds, we do a very good job of making sure they're comfortable and they have an opportunity to eat and their behavior is what I call normal. Where were these cameras located? So when you go into a farm, you're going to set up this type of work. Where did you put your cameras? Let me give you a little background and then I'll quickly move up to it. For a long time in the audits, I used to uh, stop in at the dairy in the evening, kind of see what was going on. And then what I would do is I would come back at 12, 11 or 12, two o'clock in the morning before I did the audit, which was the next day in the morning when we started right with the feeder. And that was a real killer. Because again, you don't see certain things because nobody's around. And, and that can be a good thing from the standpoint that cows are comfortable, they'll have their natural behavior. So started just doing pictures late at night. And I, that was a killer, I'll tell you. So we, we started instituting these trail cameras, which we put in. And generally, we would put them up as high as we could get them. And we would shoot them down over the bunk. And the type of trail camera was not as critical as what kind of pictures could it take mm -hmm. in low lighting and would it be able to would we be able to edit it so we could easily look at it the next day or the day following or the week following. So that was kind of the criterion. And there's a lot of trail cameras that are out there that will work fine, but getting them up high to shoot down was probably the biggest challenge so that we could get a broad view of the bunk. In some cases we get all of it, some cases we get two bunks, if especially they're head to head. And then sometimes we could, we could see uh, things. So where we place them, oftentimes we looked at critical uh, groups, fresh groups, high groups, first lactation groups. And in some cases we did close-up groups because we knew that those were all critical groups that mm -hmm. we really wanted to watch what was going on with that cow. Going straight into it, what were some of the main observations of that work? cow observations were obviously we wanted to see what her behavior was when we're not around. That's what the camera does so well. And so, you know, what is her eating pattern? How long when, you know, does the average cow come up to eat? What is the bunk like when she comes up to eat? And is it, is the feed fully available? Is it evenly distributed? Do the cows have access? Or as we would find is that one of the observations, these cows are very much a herd. They, they, they move to the bunk as a herd. They're not as much individualized as what you would think, although in some robotic feeding situations, they do come up a little bit more individually, but they're very herd oriented. So when one comes up, a lot of times they all come up. So that means bunk space. That means you know feed distribution. That means watching all those different behaviors when th that happen throughout the day that sometimes we're not there to see. And particularly how is feed dropped, the mixers, all those kinds of things can be observed uh, with a trail camera. And then we look at him for over a day or two. We can see the relief feeder. How well does he do? You know, how consistent are we in dropping the feed on a timely basis so that the cows get that used to that circadian rhythm where they know feed is there. They're much happier to know every day if it comes at nine o'clock, they know it's at nine o'clock. And so... Those kinds of things are things that we learn, and I've learned that they very much are what cow behavior people tell us. They're yep. creatures of habit. Time of dropping feed is one of the indicators that I like using to know how consistent a program is. If Absolutely. consistently a feeder is dropping feed between 9 and 9.15 for a group, that's a sign that things are done consistently in the group. Now, 
How consistent is the TMR? That's a different story, but at least as far as procedures, the same things are happening and that's kind of always good for the cow. What were some of the big surprises that you were not expecting? Well, one of the things is that, and I've always watched this, is that a feeder can't be there every day for 365 days. Oftentimes you'll have relief feeders or owners or part owners that are there. And one of the things is to watch their, how they feed and are they as consistent dropping feed? You know, we have people that push up feed. How consistent are they over times and days? As we know, there's a certain synchronization that happens when you have people that are not used to that job or it's not their job or they've got to go calve uh, a bunch of cows, the job like pushing up feed and stuff like that, it gets ignored. So a lot of times we're told what happens, but until we actually see it visually and can see it over time, then we really know what happens. The behavior that surprises me a lot is, is that we will see a lot of times cows have feed in front of them, but it's not available because maybe we haven't pushed it up. Maybe they've eaten it all and it hasn't been distributed And so what we'll see is that we'll see this behavior, which we call slug feeding. And that slug feeding, if you go to the rumen of the cow, really changes her pH dramatically, dropping it. And the whole different, the system just isn't efficient. I mean, talking about the rumen, when we see sorting and when we see slug feeding, which could be because of inconsistency or running out of feed, missing the dry matters. So what happens is that we run out cows are out for three hours, watching that cow charge the bunk and eat aggressively for a big meal generally means that what we've done is that we've missed some of the opportunity to really keep the rumen efficient Mm -hmm. because of our inconsistency of how we fed that cow. So smaller meals is kind of what we're trying to go after then? Yes, absolutely. Smaller meals. And that becomes a challenge for us is that comfort level of many dairymen is to feed once a day. And that means that they're guessing for 23 hours what that cow is going to eat. You know, if we're guessing, how much does the dry matter change of five points in the haylage or the corn salage mean as far as keeping the bunk to a point in time where the cow has feed availability? So looking at those things through the camera's eye are very helpful to be able to see, are there more times that, let's say, at five o'clock in the morning and we don't feed till seven, are we out of feed? Then we watch the cow when she does get feed and we watch her hit the bunk and she goes at the bunk instead of maybe 15 or 20 minutes, she might be in there for an hour. Hmm. So we've trained her to slug feed because she knows that she's not going to get feed at five o'clock in the morning. She's going to get it at eight. So she just lays in her freestall and then back she comes and then she hits the bunk hard. That's an area we try to watch pretty closely. If we see that uh, going on, we know We've got to do a better job of managing our feed delivery, our feed amounts, and that dry matter intake because she's going to be on a yo-yo, and that is generally not good for production. It's all about consistency, like uh, we stress in our past episode. Uh, When you're feeding, everything is about consistency. Now, what were you expecting and didn't occur at all? Well, one of the things that I guess that surprised me to some degree was is that we see cows eating 24-7. Just because the lights are off, uh, that doesn't mean that they're not eating. And, you know, I always kind of thought, you know, we'd see them when we drop feed and we push up feed. But quite honestly, we'll see those cows eat all the time. And there are patterns. And, but we can actually, the thing that I, I guess I was surprised to see, we can create that pattern 
both positively and negatively. If a cow knows that she's got feed coming and then we change it, that pattern has an effect on that cow. And it surprised me when we saw those inconsistent times, how that changed the pattern of how that cow ate and how long she ate for. It's kind of bad behaviors are also learned and we know all about it. So for example, to give a perspective to producers is when milkers are heading to the holding pen to fetch cows every single turn, Cows are not going to get in the parlor until somebody step up the ladder and come and get them. Yep. So we can teach those behaviors, like you said. Anything you learn about boss cows with that camera work? Yes. I, just as a, a perfect instance, I saw boss cows. They're very much, um, I, I think they're bullies. They're, they're absolute bullies. <laughs> One of the things when we saw where we're not doing a good job mixing, Oftentimes we would have areas where there would be more feeds, particularly with more grains that would be in that area. The boss cow is that cow that will go down to that area. And if there's grain available and it's in a five foot area, she's going to take it. And everybody else is, is going to you know, suffer for the consequences. She will literally, I've watched cows run out of the parlor back to that area because she knew that there was donuts. I call them donuts, grain. Yep, yep. It's sitting candy. at the end of the bunk and she runs there 10 minutes it's gone but what have we done we've created that boss cow the other thing is interesting back to the camera and boss cows is that oftentimes um, we assume that these cows all have room to come up and eat we've measured out our bunks and all that but then you get them all in there particularly let's say that they're uh, it's their feeding they've got a little hunger which is a good thing not a not aggressive hunger but a good hunger and you watch that bunk and then you'll see behind the cows, you will see those first calf heifers, the smaller cows, the cows that are timid, the, the lame cows, you'll see them there because they're waiting and waiting to get in. And they can't get in, even though we've told them that there's space there, they like going to an area. And if that area is full, they will sit there and wait or they'll go lay down. So they have the spots on the bunk. When you talk about small cows, it'll depend, right? Because those jerseys, they know how to claim a spot. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And, and you, you know, the boss cow is not always the, the big cow. It oftentimes is the big cow, but it's not often the big cow. And the thing that we, again, a learning thing that I learned is, is that when they say that cows ha are territorial, absolutely. Where they want to eat, what they want to eat, they're territorial. I've seen these longer feed bunks that we have for our, for our cows in these big, long barns. And we may have lots of feed at the other end available for those cows. And the cows that go down and eat at that end, who choose to go eat at that end, have plenty of feed. But if we've not done a good job in our distribution, our redistribution feed, they could be out of feed and they'll go lay down. And so you've got two environments as far as the eating patterns and what happens because of what, how we've delivered feed or how it's been made available to them within the same barn. Yeah. So you can have the rumens, full rumens and on one end, and you could have empty rumens on the other end and which cows are gonna be slug feeders, which cows are gonna be normal. And you could have a whole different uh, atmosphere just because of the length of our barn. And we've got herds now that have got 300, 500 cows in a pen. And so that whole environment can change. And, and I have seen that so often when I see cows licking the ground with a lot of feet on the other side of the barn and they just don't walk down there to eat. 
And it boggles me and I say, how does this happen? And then some of that behavior you are explaining is a perfect explanation for that. That's her spot. And if there's not feed at her spot, she'd rather not eat and go rest. Yeah. And that takes me to my next question. What other behaviors, you know, that's just a behavior that we need to take into account that gives more importance to a consistent distributed mix along the bunk to make sure that every single spot for the cow is as consistent as possible. What other behaviors did you observe that should be taken into account when we're planning a feed program? Well, obviously, I don't want to spend too much time because that's not my area of expertise. But, you know, the the freestyle comfort is easily seen how these cows get up and go eat, watching them get up and go eat. If they're comfortable, you can see them that there'll be there'll be times where the whole barn's laying down and then they all decide to get up and go eat. So that behavior is still pretty consistent. You know, uh, walking back from parlors and things like that, you will watch cows that have trained themselves to go to one end of the bunk or trained themselves to go to the under the end of the bunk. And that's something we've got to account for. The other thing is you start doing a lot of cow moves, meaning that we're moving pen moves, cows from this pen to that. And that resocialization really starts to show up, particularly if you're starting to do a lot of pen moves of cows, that's going to have an effect on some of these cows that are, that are you know, socially not accepted. And that's seen in the cameras too, where you get these cows that just don't know where to go. And mm-hmm. so they're going to be limited on their meals. They're probably going to be eating big meals yep. instead of small meals, like you mentioned. And that can easily be seen on, you know, if you're getting milk yields daily, you'll see that dip when yep. a cow enters, enters a group until she figures out where she can eat, what time she can eat. And what routine does this pen have? And yes. once she gets used to that, then you might see the milk come up again. But yeah. definitely that dip is present. Just to add to what you said there, the thing that we, we, we look at milk, but one of the things I think is highly affected by that is butterfat test, where we're dropping these rumens up and down um, because of feeding behavior, because of slug feeding or sorting or lack of feed, feed availability, whatever you want to call it. I think that's where we're really seeing that happen quite quickly. If we've got a lot of that going on, then watching the bulk tank or cow butter fats, you're going to see a lot of variation just because that rumen is not stable. Again, the word variation, it's one we want to avoid in a farm. We want a consistent mix, consistent cows, consistent bulk tank, and as much as consistent as you have, the easier it is for you to manage a farm. Enough of cows. Let's talk a little bit about that leg called people. What yep. did you learn about people in that camera work? Well, the people thing is, is it kind of watch how they deliver feed. And, you know, the more experienced feeders, and they are out there, they're obviously careful in how they drop the feed, where they deliver it. They can read bunks and get an idea. You know, the cows seem to be eating more at this end, of, this end of the barn or the middle of the barn. You see sunshine and a lot of things will have an effect. Flies, all those things mm-hmm. will have an effect. And a good feeder will have the ability to adapt how he drops that feed to be able to make sure that there's adequate feed there to do it. Now, the job of the pusher is the other part. Do we have pushers that also recognize that or are they just doing the task? Mm -hmm. They may not be pushing and moving feed to where it gets eaten up uh, quicker. Uh, And so that becomes a communication and a thing, a training thing too, is that do the feeders and the people that do the pushing up feed, do they actually look at the bunks and be able to determine where do we need, do we need to push in one direction 
or do we need to push in the other direction? Do we actually need to put a bucket on and move feed because these cows for some reason are out of feed here? So there's a communication that needs to happen from the feeder because the feeder's not there all the time. Mm -hmm. The pushers are not there all the time. But is there a communication that I go look at the bunks and, and determine, or do I just drive the same way all the time? And you can tell the, good, the better feeders, you can set, to see the cowboys, what I call the cowboys. They're there to get the cows fed, run the tractors, and get the stuff done. And that's okay, but that doesn't really benefit how the cow is going to get delivered her feed. And sometimes we have to make up for some of those things by how those pushers, the feed, people that push up the feed, how well they do. And pushing is a challenge on a lot of dairies. It's not a convenient uh, oftentimes because skid steer sit over in another barn. Mm -hmm. I got a calf to take care of. The cows are out, all those different issues. So feed pushing and watching the consistency of that becomes important. And it's even more important, uh, Martin, because we a lot of times feed once a day. And again, we're guessing for 23 hours, where do we need to put and how much feed do we need to have? So are we doing a good job? And can we see that? The cameras really help us see when things get light, when things are, the bunks are partially empty and need to have been pushed up. We see ridges and things like that. Yep. Yeah. I think it's part of our fault of calling it feed pushing. We should call it feed redistribution. Excellent. Yes, I agree. <laughs> and I will certainly talk about what, what are you referring to? Because, you know, certainly the act of coming and pushing feed that does not answer necessarily what the cows are need. Anything else on feed pushing that can be improved after what you have learned from cameras? Yes, I think what I've learned is, is that we need to have more training and communication between feed pushers and also the feeders and the people who read the bunks. In my opinion, sometimes there's a disconnect because the guy that pushes up feed might see that, you know, guess what? This pen of cows is going to be out of feed at three o'clock. Does that communication ever get, or does when the feeder comes and looks at the bunk and he says, oh, I guess it's out of feed. Does he need to feed more? Does, is that a problem where, where dry manners are off, our pen counts off? And so what happens is a lot of times there's not somebody out there to communicate. Is that the manager? Is that the owner? Mm -hmm. Who does that kind of stuff? So I see communication in training. A lot of times cows are fed, it's out and back. The guy that's the feeder it, you know, he's there for a, a bit of time. He's got a job and he may not know how all things are being communicated. How, what happens when cows, you know, there's a, there's a kind of a mystery that happens throughout the day where cows move into other groups and people yep. don't realize that they exactly. can open gates. Cows can open gates and get into other areas. Yep. And all of a sudden we've got, instead of having 30 cows in there, I got 50. Yep. Well, son of a gun, you know, they're out of feed. How did that happen? What happened? You know, so that communication sometimes can be solved by, you know, electronic feeding programs that we have out there, but it's still, whether it's a chalkboard, whether it's a phone call, whether it's, you know, something, we need to make sure that we're communicating because a lot of times there's a lot of different people that are touching those cows for different reasons. It doesn't have to be complicated. You know, no. everybody has a cell phone on their pocket on a farm. Yep. So it's as easy as creating a WhatsApp group of the feeder, those that push, and those that move cows. And it's very easy to say, hey, five cows from five went into six. Just yep. put it there, message gets relayed. So it's very easy to create that culture of communication. 
it is. And, and that's, you know, any area, whether it be milk quality, whether it be repro or anything, that communication becomes extremely important because we've got a lot of different people that are, that are involved in touching those cows and different things happen throughout the day. And we need to make sure that that communication is being done because the losers oftentimes is the cow. You know, we forget to do, we, we run out of feed, uh, whatever happens. And then timing, something breaks down. I run out of diesel fuel. All those things can happen on a farm. And what happens with the relief feeder that comes the next day and he realizes he feeds three hours later in the day? Mm-hmm. Well, now the next day when the relief feeder, now the bunk is full when I come the next morning, the day after that. Well, he didn't realize that the guy started three hours later. Yep. Well, does that mean I cut back on the feed or do I feed a normal amount? You know, that whole thing comes down to, are we communicating? Do we have those I don't know, hinge points, break points that we need to make sure are checked regularly by those key people, you know, whether it be forage dry matters, whether it be timing, you know, what's going on. So that communication has to happen. And what you see with the cameras is that when it's not working well, I get to get the whole thing is that I always ask to the, the owner or the herdsman, I says, how many times should these cows have feed pushed up during the day? And he'll count up, say, oh, five. Well, then I look at the camera and it has been rare that I've had everybody that if they say five, Accurate, it's, generally, yeah. it's generally not five. It's somewhere less than that. Yeah. So that becomes the issue. So one of the things is training, but training needs to happen where I can take that camera work and then show it to the feeder or show it to the owner or show it to whoever is interested and say, look what's going on here. What's happened to these cows? When all of a sudden they're bellering and charging the bunk, what do you think that means? Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden that starts to take it from I'm a feeder to I'm a cow person. I read bunks. I make decisions that are going to be good for the cow. So that, again, is, is training and communication is kind of a real big leg of the piece that I think you're trying to get at and I have to get at whenever I can work on it. You know, training these feeders, what's important. Yep, definitely. I'm with you there. Well, it's amazing, Don, how much I learn every time I sit down and talk with you. That it's great. That's why we have you over again and we'll probably <laughs> find something to bring you over again because it's great what, what you give us every time you come in the podcast. I, I'm glad that you're taking up the banner of, of really watching this because there it is, as you know, in, in dairies, because we have so many different employees and people, there's procedural drift. Mm-hmm. And we constantly have to evaluate, whether it be evaluate the mixers, evaluate how we're doing as far as our feeding programs. We have nutritionists that are doing, you know, looking at the rations and all that. We're constantly having to be able to adapt to what is given to us. And so that's part of why I'm excited that we're starting to look at, just like we did with cow comfort and looking at the comfort of the cow now we're starting to really look at how well are we doing the job of making feed and delivering it, being consistent, taking out the variables and getting that job done uh, as consistent as possible. And that is the name of feeding management. A friend of mine that has made a lot of talk about, uh, you know, what is it, where do you make money on the farm? And I often talk to nutritionists and I say, you know what? feeding management is going to have a greater effect on the profitability of that dairy than the nutrition, the ration balancing that you're going to put in there. 
Not that it's not important, mm -hmm. but a feeder or inconsistency or not having good procedures and SOPs can screw up more cows than any ration that you can put together. And so it becomes important that we recognize that's a piece that when we put that into the nutrition realm and feeding management, it all becomes a part of it. Yep. And I think that will make our dairies more efficient. It'll make them more profitable because shrink and things like that all have to be incorporated into that. And that is a big deal in the future of our dairies is that we've got to be able to measure the, the, the amount of feed that we're giving these cows and what feed don't we get to that cow that may be costing us money. And so that's another area that I think I've spent quite a bit of time now looking at is looking at shrink and where does that, what does that mean to the cost of the dairy and how do we tighten that up so that we've got more money at the end of the day that we can, you know, use for, you know, profitability. And I'm sure shrink is going to start to get into producers head now when we're looking at $6 corn. <laughs> Definitely. Absolutely. They're going to start taking a look at that. And I think that will be the next topic that we will bring you over to talk about probably tackle shrink as yep. the importance that it has in a feed program and the difference uh, that yep. it can make on a dairy. Well, thank you, Don, very much for joining us today. And I'm sure we'll see you again on the podcast. I'm sure we'll see you. Once again, thank you, Don, for the great information shared on today's episode. To those listening, we appreciate your support of this program, and we would love to hear your feedback or suggestions. You can reach out by emailing carrasq1 at msu.edu. Once again, the email to reach us is carrasq1 at msu.edu. You can also reach out with questions or for any additional information in this or any past episodes of the podcast. Join us next week as we enter the final stretch of this third season with only two more episodes remaining. In the next episode, dairy educator Paola Basigalupo will talk with Dr. Pam Rugg. They will take us back to the parlor as their conversation focuses on post-dips, sealants, and other key aspects to maintain milk quality in the herd. So I hope you'll join us then.